we would be honored if you would join us. All right, everyone, welcome to another episode of Dungeon Crawlers, where we are excited, we are enthralled, we are, we're just here. We are here honored. About really amazing stuff. So for those of you that are following the show, we had an awesome interview with uh, a great author. Well, we have another great author and game designer wrapped up into one coming on the show tonight. Uh, so we have B.W. Dalton on the show. He's been on the show before. Um, now this is kind of different because we've, you know, we've had you talk about a book and your game, but now you have a book within your game, which is yes. pretty awesome. Um, and the other really cool thing about this is it's kind of a choose your own adventure type book, which I haven't seen in years and it's awesome. Um, I, I like how this is coming back. I mean, even if you watch Netflix, uh, Bear Grylls, you know, survival expert extraordinaire has a kind of a choose your own adventure type video series on Netflix where he comes to a point where it's like, oh no, there's a pit full of snakes and there's this rope. And what, what should I do next? Should I Pro try tip, the rope is also a snake. The rope or scale down <laughs> where the snakes are. I, so what he probably did is said when I was in the British Special Forces, yeah. I used my Union Jack <laughs> underpants to solve this problem. Yes. Right? Yeah. I mean, I mean, I loved, I loved Choose Your Own Adventure books when I was a kid. Um, and it's kind of funny how that's kind of coming back. I know Wizards kind of did one for a, while, a couple books for kids. You know, we have that Netflix series. And now here you have your Choose Your Path novel for Lone Wilderlands, which is awesome because it's a great game. So tell us a little bit more about it, since I'm just blabbing at this point. It's called Defenders. It's the first in a series. This one is the throne of the bandit lord. And looking at the kind of the free flow process of just the card-based solo RPG, it was developed because I loved the Joe Deaver's Lone Wolf books as a kid, the Choose Your Path. Oh, I love the Lone Wolf books. They were, they were fantastic. And I thought a little bit more of an author intrusion into the game, it could look like the Lone Wilderlands and, or look like the Lone Wolf games. And I think it would be a lot of fun. So I gave it a shot and had some people play test it and it, I liked it. Nice. It was fun. Love it. So this is a Kickstarter. Uh, just yes. for everyone to know, mm-hmm. it starts March 15th. Um, so this is going to be awesome. I'm going to hand it over to Alton because Alton is our game expert, it seems like, with role-playing and stuff like that. So I know he has some questions. I saw him start to jump in, and I accidentally overrode him. So go ahead. No, in fact, it is entirely appropriate to plug a Kickstarter. That feels like a necessary detail. I approve. All right. With that being the case, I do have some questions, okay? I have some answers. I'm excited for that. Having been an aficionado of role-playing games for many years, having designed one myself and assisted with many others, you know, I know that, uh, that, that for many authors and creators, it takes a little bit of time or at least uh, some, some setup to get yourself into the mindset of writing a pick-a-path style adventure. It isn't just as easy as point A, point B, point C, which is already a complicated process as it is. What are some of the things that you have found have 
helps to inspire you and get you into the headspace to be able to produce something like this? Two things. Playing the Lone Wildlands game give me a lot of fun ideas. It's a stack of cards and you flip it over and it tells you what happens in different places. And then as, uh, as part of a, an anthology I was trying to get into, I wrote a short story based on some characters I created. And, but just being a, a straight linear story from the author's brain and I realized there could be some kind of a middle ground. And over the last couple of years, I've been trying to collect all of the Joe Deaver's Lone Wolf books. And I've got up to 14. And then suddenly the prices jumped to 70 bucks a piece. And so I kind of stopped. But there was the inspiration right there is a combination of the Lone Wildlands solo RPG and then the short story that I wrote. And so as you're starting to, you know, put together this, obviously you started with the short story, right? So you have your overarching idea in mind. Did you find that it was uh, challenging to translate some of that mechanically? And what were some of the challenges that you found were most exciting to overcome and figure out in that path? The biggest trick was making sure that every section in the novel would not contradict with something that would happen later on in a different path. And so I have these stacks of paper with these schematic drawings on them with all the different paths and, and layouts that can take place. And then have to go through and double check and triple check. And sometimes it made my brain hurt racking it to make sure it all fit together. Was there anything that that stands out particularly from that process to you? Oh, looks like I, my video might've been having some problems there. Here, let me stop my video and see if that'll help with the connection problems. Sorry guys. All right, no problem. Um, so the, uh, the, the question that I was asking, sorry about that, was um, what, uh, take your month, take your dad. Okay. We're good. Um, were there any particular scenes or mechanics that you found held you up in specific? Um, was there something that really, as you were going through the development process, was a major hurdle to overcome? Trying to have a villain that did not adhere to any cliches was kind of tricky. Mm -hmm. It's high fantasy. So there are some expectations about what villains do, what they are. So trying to think of a fresh way to approach that was another one. Also trying to avoid the, the pale male viewpoint and perspective and characterization that you yeah. saw in the, the 80s and, and 90s. Not that I felt like those were overtly racist or anything, but there's that's not who's reading the books now. It's much wider audience. Yeah, and I mean, I, I totally relate to that. It's not always easy to be able to put 
all of those bits and bobs together, especially when, you know, uh, you know, I grew up obviously uh, in my own skin and not anybody else's. So what were some of the things that you did to help address some of that and, and think through some of those outside perspectives or shake loose from your own? A good friend of mine is one of my beta readers and sensitivity readers. She's a Egyptologist by training and then currently is a, an author. And uh, Kristen Hacken South is her name. And she gave it a read. And from the standpoint of somebody who is very intellectual, academic, also very female and extensive world traveler and experience with other cultures. She picked up on some things that I didn't catch, even though I was really trying hard, there were still a few things there. So that was immense help. Fascinating. And how do you feel that that affected the creative process? Um, I know a lot of people, especially, um, you know, people with more conservative viewpoints can find that process extremely frustrating or even just the idea of the process frustrating. And I know a lot of authors and designers worry about it, hampering them being able to do their best work. Did you find that that was the case for you? Or did you find that there was more that was able to be added through that process? And how were some of the ways that you addressed that in your development cycle? I felt it was liberating, actively trying to look at my own prejudices outside of just my work as an author and a game designer. For my day job, I'm a physician assistant and I work in an urgent care clinic. And so that's a setting where I also am actively trying to better understand people who have, who are different than me. So when she, when she was pointing those things out, it didn't feel like a hamper to the creative process. It felt like she was pointing out something that I was going to trip over so I could clear out of the way and make things smoother overall. And I felt a lot better about the manuscript overall. She looked at a, um, another project that I'm currently working on, the sequel to Space Boots that we talked about last time. And in one scene, she pointed out, maybe you didn't notice this, but the female character in the scene is the only one who is stress eating. I felt really embarrassed that I had written that. I didn't see it at all. And so I could not change that fast enough because I was really embarrassed I had written that. So I guess that removal of a potential embarrassment is, is what's going on. And knowing those aren't there liberates the creativity. I love it. And it's got to add a ton of empathy to the situation. I mean, especially seeing as how, you know, you mentioned your physician's, phys uh, physician's assistant, like that's a knowledge intensive job um, in which you're having to deal with many people with many different problems. Do you find that that work during the day helps to inform what you do as an author, as a designer? And how are you able to even fit in the time to be able to have what can be a very intense process like this? I think the practice of double checking things with research and data has been useful. Not that in a high fantasy novel, you need to get 
super nerdy about things and doesn't really directly relate as it does when writing a science fiction novel. Mm-hmm. But the practice of being open to, hey, is there a better way to do this? Mm-hmm. Absolutely love it. Um, another thing that you know, we, we see a lot with this type of top-down design where you're starting with a story and then building mechanics up to meet it is that uh, designers often end up going back to revisit those stories to addendum or change things or update things as they get more ideas. Did you find that that was part of your process? I did. Defenders is based on the same game mechanics as the solo role-playing game Lone Wilderlands. Mm-hmm. In the process of writing the instructions and doing some playtesting on my own, I realized that the the limited scope of the novel made some of the game mechanics unnecessary mm-hmm. and became more of a hindrance. And so there was this this section of of those that I just chopped out completely. And I I wouldn't want to play without those in the game, it adds something deep and rich to it, but mm-hmm. it, was a, it was intellectually fascinating to me to see how in those two different mediums, the watercolor versus the, the ink, the one thing didn't translate. Well, let's, let's explore that a little bit more then. So that sounds like a really interesting you know, exercise to try to figure out what were some of those revelations for you? The, the mechanics for Lone Wildlands is fueled kind of by the overly simplistic approach that most role-playing games have to physiology and psychology. I didn't feel like they quite grasped reality, but I didn't know quite how to fix that for quite some time. and. Part of the, the process of creating Lone Wildlands kind of led me to a two-tiered or a three-tiered approach, actually. In the common games people frequently play, Dungeons and Dragons, Savage Worlds, Pathfinder, you have mm-hmm. the six attributes, strength, charisma, wisdom, intelligence. How many was that? I didn't kind of roll off. Dexterity, constitution, there we go. I got them. So with with the um, Lone Wilderlands, that's the the second tier, and there are eight attributes, and those are made up of combinations of deeper traits, and then they relate or uh, end up with the superficial interaction skills with the the world. So, for example, somebody's strength is a combination of how hard their muscles can contract, and also how much force their bones and ligaments can withstand Hmm. before it causes them an injury. And so you have two different things going on to give somebody their strength attribute. And so that that first tier of attributes would be that um, ability to contract muscles and the strength of the sinew of the body essentially Hmm. and so that that first tier is where 
the improvement and leveling up happens in lone wilder lands. And it just wasn't necessary given the more linear aspect of defenders. And yeah. so all you have to deal with is just the, uh, the eight attributes and then skills and make choices and turn to section 25. Awesome. And do you find that that type of a system, you know, is, I, I absolutely appreciate where you're coming from with the idea that, you know, oftentimes there's an oversimplification or an overclumping of ideas in role-playing games, trying to translate a complex person into a pen and paper number can often be difficult. And did you find that being able to utilize that system liberated you to uh, allow players to be able to explore your story in a new way? And was it that process that started to open up um, kind of more opportunities to maybe some, some future content that could be coming? That is the plan, yeah. With the, the skill system is a little bit more flexible than say the Lone Wolf books where there's a list of skills, you gain this one, and then after you finish the book, you gain the next one. In the process of defenders, those skills can change, and then they can be changed in um, as far as increasing points at the end of the game to cut, create some variety. And that, that led me to the, the idea that in, in between Defenders and the sequel, the Elusive Elixir, that there could be a Lone Wilderland supplement of the, the map that Daniel and I were talking about early on. There are several places within the map, depending on which story arc you follow, but that leaves the whole rest of this amazing world to explore. And that's what Lone Wilderlands is about. And so there's gonna be a, a supplement Two Lone Wilderlands based on the novel, a stack of cards. So that it, within that map, you can just roam free and explore and have other adventures. Love it. So, you know, you're, last time we talked to you, you were building Lone Wilderlands. And now we have a, um, an RPG-esque adventure book. I don't want to call it Choose Your Own Adventure because it's kind of more than that. Uh, if, if, if we're likening this to the Lone Wolf series, then stats and die rolls play a role in what happens next and the consequences. Uh, so when designing such a complex game to commit to the written words so that, you know, I mean, it's, it's basically a hard coded set of outcomes. Uh, what was the most difficult mechanic in your system to get right? Making sure that the monsters were appropriately difficult. And according to one of my beta readers, I blew it at first. <laughs> <laughs> that I, Were they too easy? Were they too killed. hard? Yes. Yeah, it was too hard. She said, I have killed Miri Oliva 12 times today. <laughs> <laughs> so at first I was yelling at my die 20 because I thought that was a problem. But no, it was me. I just, the monsters were too tough. So... I did some tweaking to, to those to make things a little bit more, more easygoing. But there's that, that tricky spot. If it's 
too easy, then you think, whoa, this is a brand new adventurer and they just slay all the monstrous piece of cake. That's not real. That's boring. Yeah. So there has to be like some scaling that occurs. Mm. And so w- without giving away too much of the proprietary aspect of this, how did you, how did you achieve that? How did you achieve balance and scale? Trial and error primarily between my plate testing, uh, one of my kids likes to play it. I have a couple of nephews and a niece and then um, the four of my author friends who age-wise they're adults, but otherwise they're trying to avoid it. <laughs> it made for a good variety of, of perspectives. Excellent. Excellent. Um, Again, without, you know, I'm trying not to get to like trigger any spoilers or anything, but uh, in this first adventure, uh, do you have a villain that is your favorite? Um, Yes, I do. The main villain I'm a, a fan of because he superficially cliche, but then not. And then there are a few other characters which may or may not jump back and forth across the fence, which is fun. That's always awesome. Do you find that you're weaving a lot of humor and and mirth into these adventures? Do they tend to be leaning a little more serious or you know what what's the tone of the story? I have tried to write this in the tone of of a novel that would interest my daughter who's 14. So there are some some good relationship conversational stuff that you didn't see in the fighting fantasy and the game books of the 80s and 90s. And I can't not write something without humor in it. One of my favorite scenes in the middle of an ambush scene, right about as things are start to get arrows flying and swords drawn, one of the characters and one of the villains have a a brief heated discussion about prose versus poetry. Love it. Are there um, are there kind of tonal inspirations, either books or movies or uh, television shows that you feel that you draw a lot from in your particular writing style? The, the way that Orson Scott Card weaved subtle humor into everything he did has always had an effect on how I write. In one of the sequels to Ender's Game, Ender is older and he goes to visit this family and there's one little kid who's super defiant and challenges him right away. And so he's Ender Wigan and so he has to establish his authority right away. And so he wrestles this kid without hurting him, but the kid ends up winning because the kid urinates all over him. And there's nothing that an adult can do about that. But then you think it's over, the kid won, but then the mom comes in and she's horrified about what happened. 
that this kid urinated all over this guest in their house while they were wrestling. But Ender says, it's okay. It's the only thing he had to give me and he made it himself. I just out of nowhere, there's a pee joke, right? In the middle of an Ender's Game novel. And that's the kind of thing I try to do, not always with potty humor, although I have to admit I'm not above that. <laughs> there is nothing like a good urination scene. I'm, I'm sorry. I have, one of my favorite characters I get, I've played is a kobold warrior named Zork. And anytime Zork defeats someone, he urinates on them. He marks them as defeated. That's what he does. And so, you know, when you sneak in something like that, where it's like he's wrestling him and he urinates on him, you know, it's, he's marking him. He, yeah, look, I, I, I took this guy on. That's at least, that's from Zork's point of view. So I, I love those type of things. Potty humor, when done well, is great. Uh, especially in kids' books. Uh, you know, a kid. Uh, I, I have one that I've finished, and I'm I'm shopping it around, but it goes so well. I mean, especially you're targeting 14 year olds. You know, knowing my own kids, anytime potty humor is thrown out, it's the most hilarious thing in their opinion. You know, and as an adult, you're just like, really? It's just, I mean, that's the reason Beavis and Butthead were so popular back in the 90s. <laughs> because it was just constant potty humor and everyone's just like oh yeah that's hilarious but now you look at it and you're like oh my gosh what was i thinking um but it's an easy go for kids so i I love the fact um you brought that up that 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 was excellent and the fact that you've woven some of that in there that's even better because it's perfect a little bit yeah one of my beta readers two of them actually caught and I was wondering if it was too subtle nobody would catch it at the scenes where you make the wrong choice and the hero Mary Oliva dies or gets captured or or whatever it'll say game over and then there's a little bit of subtle dry slightly condescending humor about what you should have done better Mm -hmm. I had to to throw in there this is kind of this narrator's voice that's 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 awesome i mean how many times you know when you lose a game it's like oh man if i only would have done that or you know we're already kind of narrating ourselves but to have the narrator just kind of go well now that you are an idiot let's try something <laughs> different <laughs> i remember next i remember time, the first time vindictive henchman or next time avoid beasts of the ancient world yeah you know, I, I remember the first time I played the video game, uh, Prince of Persia, Sands of Time. And it's all about time manipulation. It was, it was, it was a very advanced game for the era in which it was released. Yeah. And if you died, then uh, the prince who was narrating the story would say, wait, 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 that's not how it happened. And then like it like rewinds back to the previous checkpoints. You can try again. And I kind of love, I love that, that sort of flawed narrator type approach where it's like they're telling a story and because of the player's choice, because of the reader's choice, it gets derailed. And they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not how it happened. And then they like, have you like back mask. I I love when they inject humor. That's just one example of that kind of humor, but it sounds like you take a moment to kind of like jab the reader a little bit. And of course the reader has the option to like go back, re-choose. 
I've, I've read the lone wolf books before, and there were certain chapters where I'm like, gosh, dang it. Why is it? I can't get past this obstacle. Oh yeah. It was a decision I made two chapters ago that made this prohibitively difficult. I should go back and play that part again. So I, I love these kinds of books. I love, I love that you, and this is kind of like reflective of, of um, Wilderlands as well, where you've designed a system where the, the player is, is the only requisite cog to complete the system. The system's in place. The story is in place. The only way to advance it is you just need one player. And, and your system is designed so that you can play by yourself. And then you wrote this book where the reader gets to play by themselves. Uh, why, why is that such a focus for you? I think it's awesome. I'm not criticizing you for it. I think it's great. It's a big high five. But why that approach? Why was that an important approach or an important an important vector for you roundabout way of answering your questions a lot of times people would ask me when i first started off as a physician assistant and they said why did you pick this as a career and jokingly especially if i was draining an abscess or taking off part of a toenail or something and it was some blood and pus i would say well my mom never let me watch horror movies when I was a kid. And so this was, I'm, it's, it's my um, remedial blood and gore from a <laughs> overly This, this is you making up for lost time. <laughs> so kind of the same thing with, with your question about the, the one cog, the, the, the reader. I, I first saw the red Dungeons and Dragons box and I was six years old. Didn't know what it was at a time. It was probably seven, eight years later before I realized what that was. But instantly my brain knew that's something awesome. And it was at my dad's friend's house. And so I said, is this a game we could play? And he says, oh, it's a little too complex and takes too long. And it, he, I wouldn't leave it alone until he showed me he didn't have any kids yet and so his house looked he was married and his wife didn't care that he had a whole shelf set aside for matchbox cars and that's how he got me <laughs> distracted from the dungeons and dragons hey come check out these matchbox cars i got and then a couple of years later i read the hobbit for the first time and that blew my mind and so i've been a high fantasy junkie ever since I, I told my first job interview out of college, I told them I'm not available that day. Can we do it another day? Because I'd already bought tickets to Return of the King and there's no way I was going to see <laughs> Return of the King, even if it's for a job interview and my wife is pregnant and I'm living in an apartment and don't have a job. Return of the King first, fellas. I, st I didn't tell them that, of course. Of course. Until I had the job for a while, but the... Um, <laughs> The thing with the uh, with the, the gaming is, so the minute I realized, oh, that box was Dungeons and Dragons, and at this point I was 11 or 12, and there was, I didn't know who else played, nobody did, and it wasn't for a few more years when I found people who did play, and they were nice guys, but it wasn't folks I would have hung around with on purpose for any other reason, and then our schedules never really mixed, and so... By the time I hit college, I think I'd actually played Dungeons and Dragons in a group twice. And 
that was it. Uh, it's a whole other story about what happened at Prevent. So that's such a shame. I have all this built up need to play and I couldn't. And so I was trying to figure out ways to play by myself. And that percolated over a couple decades, I guess, and then came out as Lone Wilderlands. So I guess to long answer to your question, the short version is, is I'm trying to help the introverts who are stuck without a gaming group. There we go. Heck right. yes. It's official. Next time you're here, we're playing a game. All right. <laughs> I will DM it. Oh, I thought, I thought he was going to say, okay, you can come over to my apartment, but I'm not going to let you check anything out. Oh, no, no. I, I've got so many books. It's ridiculous. Uh, uh, unfortunately, right now, they're all sitting in Rubbermaid totes because I just don't have the space to put them out. But uh, yes, we'll have to play a game. No, that, that way you can say, I played it three times, not twice, <laughs> but three times now. Uh, no, I, I think that's great. Uh, you know, it, it is... That is something that I do like about the game mechanics are changing. Cause it used to be the only way to play a game is, you know, you pick up a game and minimum players is two. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, Krebs completely hooked me hook line and sinker into Zombicide and you can play one player on that game. I've done it. Uh, and yes, I may have looked at a game store today for more stuff. <laughs> um, but I mean, that, that's the, the really neat thing about games like this. You don't, if you're stuck at home, especially in this environment we're in now where, you know, COVID is kind of brought a lot of things cl- closed down. I mean, some game stores are open still, but there's not a lot of opportunities to game. I mean, I've tried to jump in to, you know, and talk to other people about, Hey, let's play, let's play a game of D and D together. And they're like, no, have you had your vaccinations yet? I had it. I had the, I have the antibodies. I'm good. Eh, we're still not going to, you know, we'll wait. Uh, it, <laughs> it kind of, but, it, but you want to play a game. Uh, and sometimes playing over the internet doesn't work because some people don't have the greatest connection or some people want to be able to see your die rolls and you can't really see them using your webcams. And there's lots of excuses and things, but here's a game that if you decide, Hey, I want to play, you can sit down and just play. You can have fun sitting at a table by yourself and playing it, which is awesome. Uh, and that it's great that you have uh, this book that ties into that and, and gives, um, oh, I'm going to say levels up the game experience with your, your system. Uh, because, you know, that's the cool thing about it. You now have this opportunity to go on a quest and read about it and do all these things. And you may get a snarky narrator at the end. It tells you, hey, you're stupid, go back. Or you may reach the end and the pinnacle of the story and be successful. But more than likely, it's going to take you a few tries. Unless you're awesome. I mean, yeah. You know, that actually brings up another question for me really quick, which is, of course, as you're going through a book like this and you're encountering various deadly perils, uh, there are multiple ways to lose the game. Are there multiple winner, winner's endings to your story? There's one ending that continues on to the sequel. There are about 12 deadly endings. And more so if you lose the combat. 
But then there are some that are in between where some of them are happy endings, but it's the end of the story. Some of them are kind of subtle tragedies, but each of the non-fatal endings progress on, except for the one that or show is an epilogue, if you will. Mm -hmm. Multiple epilogues, one cliffhanger for nice. the sequel. So that means that you've already got the sequel up your sleeve, or at least in your mind. Is that correct? That is correct. How many sequels were we talking? I would like to grow up and people think, was he trying to grow up to be Gary Gygax and Joe Deaver? And I would say, <laughs> yes, I am. Yes. <laughs> yes, that would be awesome. No, I, I like the fact, you know, there are other good endings besides the dead ending, but there's only one true ending that takes you to the next book the canonical ending yes um but that would really suck if you had someone that had read it multiple times and the only ending they ever got was the epilogue endings <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute this second book connects to this what um that would be fantastic i mean it would also be fantastic to bring that person on and talk to him like how did you not figure this out i mean no no i, I wouldn't want to be insulting my wife pointed that out also and she said you need to let people know up front that there's only one ending that continues on and the other endings end the story but there is one i said i thank you for your insight because we could have ended up with a lot of frustrated readers yeah well not only that that forces them to reread you get reread you know yeah they're gonna have to yeah there's back. replayability there yeah and they gotta they gotta do it they gotta get that ultimate ending to go to the next book you know hopefully that poor sap doesn't take them seven years and then finally <laughs> they can read the seven the, the second book um with my luck that would be me uh <laughs> so uh the Kickstarter starts May March fifteenth. Mm -hmm. March fifteenth. Crap, yes. that would be way too far off. But March <laughs> right around the corner, two days before St. Patty's Day. So you know maybe the luck of the Irish will be with you, and you guys can jump on board and fund this. Um, and it's not going to take much to fund, which is a fantastic thing. Um, and what is the turnaround? I mean. Once this funds, how fast are you thinking of getting this out? Because I know COVID has delayed a lot of Kickstarter projects. So is that something that's been taken into account or what? How yeah, here's, here's the fun part about it is the book is done. It's beta read. It's edited. Text is ready to go. The Kickstarter is for the art. And okay. I've had four artists who have agreed to jump in and the the main kickstarter amount is for the cover there's a guy by the name of jeremy adams who does some beautiful breathtaking stuff that i'm a huge fan of so if we meet the the goal he's going to do a cover for the book and then uh, Sam Perrin is one of the other artists and he's going to do some characters and then I have two other artists um, Nellie Deal from 
Germany and LA Cooper, who's from London, and they're each going to take some of the chapters and do like a half page chapter heading. So every chapter, if we reach all the stretch goals, is going to have a full color illustration. So if we meet everything, then it's going to have a cover, 14 chapter illustrations, and then 26 full color character illustrations to go with the character stats. Nice. Very nice. So, and it looks like I'm just, I pulled up the, the page you have here. So it looks like estimated delivery would be August of this year. So not too far off. No. Uh, definitely gives plenty of time for artwork and everything. You got some great pledge amounts. Um, does your Kickstarter have uh, any stretch goals, any any sort of like bonus items if we hit certain yes, benchmarks? They yes, they do. So for the basic level, what you'll get is the all the art in your PDF of Defenders Throne of the Bandit Lord. And that's for $6. If you pledge nine, you will also get the beta reader copy of the sequel. Take a look at There will be no art with that, but then you don't have to wait. Oh, what happens next to Miri Oliva and her heroic friends? The next one is a $15 pledge. And that one, you get a PDF copy of Lone Wilderlands. That nice. Talking about that inspired it all. There's a $21 pledge level. And for that one, you get the expansion set to Lone Wildlands, Adara's Atlas. And it's another stack of cards that adds some more variety to the world building. There's a $100 pledge level. And for that one, you get your name in the book and all the other stuff. And then there's a $500 pledge level. And anybody who does that one, it's limited to five, then I will work with you to create a cameo appearance for you in the sequel. Nice. You get to be an NPC in the book. The ultimate NPC. Yeah. Nice. Yep. So and it also looks like you've got some social media stretch goals and some, some other really cool odd and even goals. So yeah. Yeah. No, this is a, this is a fun Kickstarter. Um, you know, it's not Super overwhelming. I mean, there are some where it's like, ah, if we hit a hundred thousand, you know, you'll get an extra die, or, or <laughs> um, so this is really nice. It, it's very simple and easy. You know, I, I like the the five hundred dollar goal there. You know, you you jump into there, you get to be an NPC in the book. You get to be a character. Um, that's really cool. Um, so no, this this is great. You've got some really good people that have, you know, jumped in here and uh, that have given some good quotes on this. Uh, you even have an 11-year-old level one game master, Ryan, <laughs> that has his quote here, <laughs> um, which I think is cool. I mean, how, how often do you see an 11-year-old making a quote on something? So, yeah. I mean, and it, it's pretty – I'm impressed with it. It says it. I'm just going to repeat this. This is exactly what it says. It combined Lone Wolf books and Lone Wilderlands, which are two things I really like. 
I also like the incorporation of new and weird beasts into the Lone Wilderlands universe. Chapter seven was my favorite. I mean, that just sounds like <laughs> an 11-year-old. It does. Oh, man, that's fantastic. Uh, I mean, I love it. I mean, you've got all these other, like, good quotes from, you know, some fairly great people that are very, you know, the way they speak is very adult and then you have that so i i really liked seeing that one it, it was great you know and then i i love the little tags on this you know like you have miles english and it says grown up ish uh, <laughs> you've done some a good job here it's really fun you know reluctant adult i mean it's just i love that you know so great job on this so Friends, listeners, everyone out there, go uh, jump on Kickstarter on March 15th. Support this awesome uh, book slash game. Uh, if you haven't already picked up Lone Wilderlands, do so. If you have, this is a great addition to the game. And I'm just going to say it, leave it at that is you, you, need, to, you need to fund this because we need to see book two and three and four. And who knows? Maybe soon, you know, uh, DW, you will see the name DW Dalton as the next Gary Gygax. I mean, he, he said it here, so we'll just say that the next Gary Gygax. <laughs> Why not? Because, you know, he needs to grow up, right? No, no, we don't. I tried that once. Yeah. It's overrated. <laughs> here we are. Yeah. We're kind of in that stage where we're degressing. Yeah. <laughs> no, we are recapturing. It's a very different oh, thing. You're right. That's we're, the word. There it is. Craig said it. Recapturing. In youth and excitement and joy in life. I like that better. Heck yes. We don't need to be crusty old adults. We can have lots of fun creating things. Yes. So Dungeon Crawlers, we want you to go check out the Kickstarter on March 15th. And uh, we would love to hear from you on our Discord server what you think of this adventure and others like it. Tell us about your memories of playing Lone Wolf or if you've never even played such a game before, uh, give us your curiosity questions. Tell us what you'd like to know and or, or go find one. Try it out for the first time and give us your first impressions. We'd love to hear from you on our Discord server. Dan, how can they join our Discord server? So basically how you find it, just go to Discord and look up Dungeon Crawlers. It's as simple as that. It's very yeah. simple. Oh, it's simple uh, and it's free. There is, there is a link on our Dungeon Crawlers website. There will also be a link in the description of this episode on your favorite podcast subscription provider. Yes, there's always a link on every episode. So you can click on that, go there, uh, check it out. We'll also provide a link to the Kickstarter. Uh, so you can check that out. Uh, when that becomes available. And as always, we'll catch you next time. Make sure to join us in future episodes to further observe Dan's descent into madness. But regardless of what ending you think you're head headed towards, tell your story, whatever may come. And whatever you do, whether it's reading the link out loud <laughs> or, or going on your very first adventure, remember to always be epic and don't suck. Hey, I gotta go run. Cthulhu's calling. <laughs> Remember, the force will be with you. Always.